One of the things that I know that the Lord has, he has a vision for this nation. The reason this nation was founded and formed so that it could be a beacon and a light to all of the world. It was said from the Cape Henry shores that when they first landed there, that from these shores the gospel will go not only to this nation, but to all the nations of the earth. God has a vision over this nation to see this nation restored, to see it return back into its original plan that he had for this nation. We've gotten way off track, but as I said, there's a remnant that is arising. And God's going to use that remnant along with partnering with him to get this nation back on track to doing what God has called it to do and being what God has called it to be. He never called you and I just to be a church in a traditional sense. Chuck put it best when he prophesied in 2008 that he saw freedom outpost across America. And God is raising up freedom outposts. We also call it apostolic hubs or we call it ecclesia. But he's raising up these hubs and ecclesias across the land in order that he may bring his glory into the earth and not just transform a building and the people within the building, but transform communities, transform states, and transform nations. God has a dream of bringing a great awakening to this land, not just a localized revival in a local church, but an awakening that penetrates every arena and segment of society. When you look at Revival over the years, the history of revival, when it came and only stayed with inside a local church. The latter part of that church was worse than it was in the beginning. That's because God never intended for a local church only to contain revival. Revival is meant to impact communities and territories and regions. Revival is meant to impact states and to impact nations, not just to be localized. God wants a revival on the Space Coast, the Treasure Coast, whatever coast you may be from. And if you're not from a coast, he wants revival there also. But he doesn't just want it in your church. He wants to settle on your city, on your territory, and on your region. I'm going to be reading now from Proverbs 29, verse 19, out of the King James, then the New American Standard, and then the passion translation i have fallen in love with the passion translation of the bible they have it in psalms and proverbs and the new testament well, we're going to read the king james first it says where there is no vision the people perish but he that keepeth the law happy is he new american standard where there is no vision the people are unrestrained but happy is he who keeps the law the Passion Translation says, when there's no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Now, I love this because there are many Christians today that need to grab hold of the fact that God has called you and I to have vision, his vision individually, but also his vision corporately. And where there is no vision, people begin casting off restraint. They don't, they, they don't act like that blood-bought, born-again, devil-chasing, tongue-talking child of God that he's called them to act like. Yeah. 
Matter of fact, they get down in blue when, they don't, when you don't have vision. When you don't have vision, your heart get, begins to get sick. Your hope begins to be deferred whenever you don't have vision. Vision is very important to you and I. Vision is very important to how we will live, how we will act, how we will walk, how we will talk. You come across a person that has vision, they will release it in their conversation. You come across a person who has vision, they will release it in their actions. You come across a person who has vision, you will see them on their knees in prayer, crying out to God for their vision. One of the things that I've been doing daily since the first of this summer is I've been crying out daily for the prodigals to come home. Because God has a vision of the prodigals returning to Him, and He gave me a word back in June, and the word was this right here, the prodigals are weeping, it is time for their return. And that is a vision that burns in my heart today because the prodigals are weeping. The Lord is ready for the prodigals to come back. What you and I are, what must do is that we must shed the elder brother attitude and begin forming the attitude of the father. Because, see, the prodigals aren't coming back to you under your conditions and under your prerequisites. They're coming to the heavenly father's house. And as I shared earlier, I'll share again, they will have tattoos everywhere you can put a tattoo. I'm excited about those tattooed people coming here. They will have rings everywhere you can put a ring. And I'm excited about those ringed people coming here and becoming a part of us and coming into the Father's house. How many of you here have tattoos? Raise your hand. I didn't know you guys had one. That's so funny. <laughs> They've been branded. Sooner or later, Cheryl's going to just give in and let me get one right here on my arm with her name there, saying Cheryl. Many times when you look at a millennial, or somebody who has an arm full of tattoos, it reveals their vision. Reveals who they are. Reveals how they think. Some of them think good, some of them don't think good. But this, what I want to share with you about people who have vision, is that people who have vision are sent from God. They walk as if though they've been sent by God. The fact that you're here this morning means that you have been sent by God. And you may say, well, Brother Ken, I was born in the Space Coast. I was born and raised here. doesn't matter. You've been sent by heaven. And people who have a sense of being sent by heaven have the vision of heaven living on the inside of them. Don't live a visionless life. Don't live a life without vision. Your vision is what drives you. The way you see is what propels you forward into your destiny and into your future. How you see is so important to your life and to the, what God wants to do in the earth. I didn't go to D.C. because I thought it would be a neat thing to do. It costs a lot of money to go to D.C. I don't get an honorarium when I go there. But I went to D.C. because God has put a vision in me and has sent me because I see what he wants to do within this nation. I see the revival coming where 
millions of young people will come to Jesus Christ. Did you know that in America alone there are 83 million millennials? Millennials are people who were born between 1980 and the year 2000. Within another 10, 15, 20 years, they will be running our country. We must begin having revival to accommodate the millennials. Not only revival, but reformation. And we have to be people who are sent by the Lord. And it says here in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13, out of the New American Standard, there came a man sent from the Lord whose name was John. Say, he was sent from the Lord. Say, I am sent from the Lord. He came as a witness to testify about the light. People who have vision, they are people who witness about the light of the Lord that God is releasing in the earth. Let me say that again. People who have vision are a witness from the Lord releasing the light of God within the earth. Not only did he say that he was testifying about the light, but he was testifying so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about that light. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now it's talking about Jesus. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received them, he gave them the right, or exousia, the, the authority. He gave them the authority to become children of God, or to walk as sons of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Sent ones carry the vision of the Lord. They don't carry their own vision. And I'll share with you why in a little bit. Sent ones are commissioned by God. Sent ones are commissioned with vision and the commission. They don't just have vision, they're doing what the vision says. The church is a sent one. It has been sent not just to gather, but to disciple and send. I hope my words today will somehow cause you to when you leave here that you will be sent. Not just to come here together. And you know, and I like it that you come together. But I like it when people begin rising up in their calling and destiny and become the sent ones that God has called them to be in the earth. You see, coming to church on Sunday is not just enough. Never has been. The reason it's not enough is that you and I have been sent. You get a sent one inside of the church where they just gather, they won't be there very long because they want to be sent into the earth they don't want to just be gathered they don't want to just have fellowship and there's nothing wrong with fellowship we need to keep that in in our life but they have to have a sense of being sent that i've been sent to this community i was sent to alabama and stayed there for about i don't know 28 30 years but then god sent cheryl and i to florida and we've been in florida for 30 years and I have so much been sent to this state that I'm more of a cracker than most crackers are. Cracker is somebody who's born and raised in Florida. 
I have that sense of being sent to Florida. My heart beats Florida. Where's that Florida flag? Is it here? Somebody grab that for me. When God began first mantling me, we have a lot of stuff in there. They're looking. Uh, it's under the, it's under that it's on that little frame there, right on that end chair. I see it now. Thank you. Whenever the Lord first began placing upon me the mantle He's given me for this state, I would take this flag and I would drape myself in it just like this, and I would weep and cry over the state of Florida. As he began revealing to me his plan that he has for this state. The plans of awakening revival out of a forerunner state. See, if you live here, you've been called not to gather. You've been called to be a forerunner in the state of Florida. You've been called to be one who carries the mantle of revival. That word, the forerunner state, came from Dutch Sheets. In 2004, I hosted the meeting of the 50-state tour in Winter Haven, Florida. And the Lord spoke to him on the airplane, coming from Colorado Springs to Orlando, that Florida was a forerunner state. And he began telling what a forerunner state was. That a forerunner state is first in revival. A forerunner state is first in prayer. A forerunner state is first in awakening. A forerunner state leads the way before everybody else. And a forerunner doesn't follow. A forerunner blazes a trail. It's a good word there. God has called you and I to be trailblazers. Not trail tenders. Not someone who walks on an established trail but to be one who establishes the trails. And in order to do that, you have to have the vision of the Lord. You have to be one that has not only been, have vision, but you have to be commissioned. And the church must have vision. Visionaries and sent ones, listen to this, have died to themselves, and they carry God's vision and not their own. I want to say that again. I'm going to talk about it more in a little bit. But visionaries and sent ones have died to themselves. They carry God's vision, not their own. One of the things the Lord began speaking to me yesterday after we saw the victory, Cheryl and I were in Miami yesterday. I got home Thursday from Washington, D.C., left Friday for Miami, performed a wedding ceremony, Latino style. That means... It was supposed to start at 7, uh, 5.30, started at 7. And, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. So we used to call island time. We were watching the results of the votes coming in. And Kavanaugh winning the a seat of authority of an associate justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. The Lord began speaking to my heart. He began sharing with me that one of the things that we must not do in America is begin to gloat. 
We must continue to have humility in order to move this nation forward. We cannot stop praying. Because we win one victory, many times we sit down and do not keep the forward momentum. Now we must begin to rise up and continue the momentum. One of the, I believe, the mistakes of Elijah, when he gained the victory at Mount Carmel and the rain came, and he got to the gate of Jezreel, instead of going in and doing business against Jezebel, he stopped. And a demonic word, just like a prophetic word, but it wasn't prophetic, it was a demonic word, was sent by a messenger from Jezebel that entered into Elijah's heart. And he began to run from his destiny, his vision, his calling that he had on his life. Receiving the Lord's vision. We're going to read from Habakkuk, the second chapter, beginning with verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak, it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now I wish I had put what I'm about to say in my notes here, in the, in the bullet points, is that vision has to be incubated, it has to be birthed, and it has to be stored. Let me say that again. Well, I back it up. I'm going to give you four. Vision has to be conceived. It has to be incubated. It has to be birthed. And it has to be stored or shepherded. Without doing that, we will fall short in the vision. The thing about visionaries is that they are always on watch. They never get off watch. The enemy many times tries to get you to abort your vision. To abort the vision that God's given you and he will send junk into your life. I was so proud of our senators who did not allow the junk that came to D.C. to get them all focused. Except for one. And we had one who joined us. That knew better. But I thought how easy it would have been to have caved in to the demands of evil. I'll say that again. It would have been very easy to give in to the demands of evil because it's coming in through a human voice. But how does the enemy or God use people through us? And I was so grateful Grateful and proud of one senator, Susan Collins, from the great state of Maine. That woman is a brave patriot, in my opinion. See, visionaries are always on watch. Even when the enemy comes around, they're not distracted. They keep the vision. Enemy tries to come and torment, tries to tear down, tries to get you to abort. He even did the same thing with David when he came out on the field of battle 
One of the things about David when he met the giant or as he was approaching the giant, he never called him by name. He never said Goliath. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine, meaning he had no inheritance of the vision that God had for Israel. None whatsoever. And when he comes out on the field of battle, the giant starts calling him a dog. He starts cursing him by his gods. Boy, what an opportunity to abort the vision and run and go home. Hello. There have been times I wanted to run and go home. But the Lord always grabbed me by the nap of my neck and lifted me up and says, Looky here, son. Some of you have heard this story, but for those of you who haven't, get to hear it again. You get to hear it first time. Those of you that have, hear it again. Cheryl and I had been invited to the Cassie Ranch down in between Sebastian and Vero Beach. I call it the Cashew Ranch because that's where all the nuts hang out. <laughs> this ranch is a ranch that has memorials to every god under the sun. Statues, idols, and there's, I don't know how many are out there. There's a lot of them out there. And I had been invited to go there by a group of intercessors in Sebastian and Vero Beach to go and to pray against those things. Several of us intercessors went, and I'll never forget getting there. And See, when you go into places like that, you have to be covert. When I go into Washington, D.C., I don't tell anybody why I'm there. Even this time, I didn't tell many people in advance where I was going. Very few knew about it. We had gone in covert, and there was a group of us that went into. The first place we went into was Buddha's temple. Walked in there, and there was a big old Buddha idol, big old belly sticking out. And people are in there praying, you know. And as we're in there praying, all of a sudden, these demons talked to me. And they said, we know who you are. Now, if they've never talked to you, you're probably not a threat to them. Because they did talk to Jesus and to the apostles. They said, we know who you are, and if you don't leave here right now, we're going to kill you. And the spirit of fear came on me, and intimidation came on me. Everybody else left, and I was the last one, and as I was exiting that place, I was going to get my wife, and I was going to leave that place and get out of there, and I had one foot in the threshold and one foot on the ground. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I can't believe that you're going to allow these demons to intimidate you this way. I said, I'm not. See, that's the strategy of demons is to intimidate you. That's why they were getting in the senator's faces last week, trying to intimidate him. One of them caved in, but it, he came through yesterday. But other ones... Just said, I remember seeing one, he just brushed her off like that as she was trying to intimidate him. Intimidation is always a tactic of the enemy. And so I told the Lord, I said, I'm not. Boldness rose up inside of me. I turned around. I went back into that Buddhist temple, and I walked up to Buddha, and I said, and I know who you are. You are a demon God, and I will not be intimidated by you. And this is what I did. I spit on that idol. 
Maybe you need to go back and spit on the idols, Ron, and <laughs> Billy Joe. And there was a little offering plate there that was filled with coins. I mean, they, there wasn't much there, probably a dollar in pennies and dimes and nickels and a couple of quarters. First thing I thought of was that, man, they really don't serve you at all. <laughs> I mean, you look what they're giving here. They're giving you pennies. But I reached down and I took up every bit of the money in my hand because I was going to steal it away from this idol. <laughs> and I stuck it in my pocket and the thought came to me. I can't tell you that it was of the Lord, but a thought came to me. It said, they may have cameras in here. <laughs> and wouldn't it be bad if your name was in the Vero Beach News or whatever it's called? So I took all the money back out. I said, here, you can have your pennies back. But I went around to every idol that was on that place. Every single God under the sun that they had made graven images to. And I spit on every one of them. I remember Diane Buca. I wasn't telling anybody I was spitting on them. But as I was spitting on one, Diane Buca heard me. And she turned around and she said, did you just spit on an idol? I said, yes, I did. She said, finally, somebody who knows how to pray. I've not only spit on idols, I've spit on strip clubs, I've spit on saloons, I've spit on all kind of places. Visionaries are always on the watch. Not only on their, they're on the watch, they record the vision. That's what he said there in Habakkuk 2. To record the vision to make it plain. In other words, people who have vision, they write books about it. Or they put it on Facebook, or they put a blog about it. They write the vision of the Lord. You know, some people don't like Facebook. You know, it's, and everybody right now is being hacked, you know, and, you know, and people don't want to be on there. But I have found it is one of the greatest tools to release my vision to the body of Christ that has ever been. I mean, it goes out to thousands of people. And if you get, uh, when I did the video on the prodigals, not the one I did in Largo, but we did a video over here about, I don't know, 20-minute video. It had almost 10,000 hits when I put out the vision for the prodigal. You see, people who have vision, they write about it. They put it on Facebook. They put it on Twitter. Or they preach it. Or if they're writing a letter to someone, they tell about their vision. See, your vision is meant to be recorded. You don't have to be in a pulpit to write down your vision. You need to put your vision down so that others can see it and begin running with it. Not only do they record it, vision, all vision has timing. Now let me share something real quickly with you about timing. Timing is very, very important. Timing can be delayed or it can be hastened. Either one. Depending on what you do with the vision. If you pray the vision, if you fast the vision, if you prophesy the vision on a regular basis, you're going to hasten it to its goal. If you don't do that, if you don't prophesy, if you don't pray it, it may be delayed. It even could be delayed to the next generation. You might have to pick that up because you didn't pray that vision through. So vision has timing, but you can hasten the timing. 
God doesn't operate in time like we do. He operates in seasons and cycles. Just like we have seasons and cycles here, we really don't have them here in Florida, but most places do, north of here. They have fall and the leaves are beginning to turn up there in North Carolina and Tennessee and Ohio and places like that. And they're moving into a fall kind of weather, you know, and um, then they'll hit summer, I mean hit winter, and then they'll come back into spring. Everything begins changing. We really don't have but two seasons right here, you know, we have fall and summer. I'll never forget, my dad came to visit us one time. The only time he ever came to visit us, my boys were small, and they were playing little league ball, and he and I were at a, one of their games, and a mosquito bit him. It was the 1st of April. He said, it's the first mosquito that's bit me this year. I said, Dad, they never die down here. They're here all the time. You're around. It has timing. It has season. And you have to operate in the timing of the Lord to see your vision come to pass. Don't delay it. Don't put it off. Begin praying it. Begin prophesying it. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.18, he said to take the words that were prophesied over you and to wage warfare with these words. And the reason you do that is it brings it into its season. The enemy wants to delay your season. You read that in Daniel chapter 7, 25, that he, he changes times and season when he can wear down the saints. Vision has timing, but vision also comes into fullness. Say fullness. Fullness is very important to see your vision come into. Word said also that you're to wait on it, but that word is a little bit different than what you think it is. Though it tarries, wait for it. When you read that, you're just thinking about, I'm going to sit here until it comes. It's not what it says. It's the Hebrew word, kavah. And it actually means to bind yourself to it. It's the same weight in, in Isaiah 40, 31, kavah. It, that word weight there does not mean sit down. It means to bind yourself to the Lord. Here it means to bind yourself to the vision. You bind yourself to that. You take a threefold cord and you bind yourself to the vision so that you don't lose grasp of it. It's a good word there. The reason you want to bind yourself to it is that even though it has time, it will come to fullness and it will not tarry. Praise God. We're going to read this out of the New American Standard, the same verse of Scripture. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait, or bind yourself to it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. No more delay. What God is planning in the Space Coast, in Florida, in the nation, is not going to be delayed any longer. I believe right now there's probably more of the body of Christ, the ecclesia praying right now than there ever has been in any other time of our history. We have finally, I believe, to some degree awakened. Now some have it. Some are still in the bridal chamber. And, you know, as, and they're not coming out. They say, well, there's no warfare. We don't have to war. 
The thing is that there's a war going on outside that bridal chamber. You've just chosen not to get in it. Not to get into the war. See, I'm warned for the prodigals. I'm not soaking for them. I'm warned. I'm not opposed to soaking worship. I love soaking worship. But I'm in a season, and the church is in a season right now, not of peace, but is in a season of warfare. And we're warring so that we can come to a season of peace. Even the children of Israel, when they first went into Canaan land, you know the thing, that the Lord, he's just so tricky. He tells them about the land flowing with milk and honey. He didn't tell them about all the giants. They were going to have to beat off that milk and honey. They didn't know about that until they got there. There's a lot of milk and honey ahead, folks. I'm going to say it again. There's a lot of milk and honey ahead, but you're going to have to beat the hell out of the enemy to get him off of it. All you religious folks say amen. Nobody know that it bothered you. Visionaries also see the way heaven sees. They don't see the way man sees. They don't see things through man through man's lens they see things through heaven's lens this is very important when you have an encounter with the Lord you begin seeing the way he sees not the way that the earth sees see we need to limit our intake of Fox News and you shouldn't even be watching CNN but we need to limit our intake of that stuff because they don't see the way heaven sees they see, most of the time, they report the bad and the ugly. They don't even report the good most of the time. Occasionally they will. Several years ago, back in 2001, to be exact, I had an encounter with the Lord one night. God was in a season where he was coming to me at 1.30 a.m. in the morning. And that's the one I'm getting my best sleep. I get my best sleep from about midnight all the way down to around 4. I sleep so good then. And he had a habit of waking me up, not only one time, but several times, 1.30 a.m. And he woke me up one night, and he said, I want to talk to you. Will you give your whole life to the whole state of Florida? I said, we've already talked about this, and we had. And I told him, I said, Lord, we've already talked about this. Let's do this over coffee in the morning. <laughs> and the Lord's not religious doesn't bother him at all probably bothers religious people but it doesn't bother him he says no I need to know tonight if you will give your whole life to the whole state of Florida and I said yes I will he said I've got something to give to you I want to give you a gift of seeing the way heaven sees he said I couldn't give that to you unless you said yes and he went on to say, he said, heaven sees seven-dimensionally. In the earth, you see three-dimensionally. He said, in heaven, we respond to what we see, but in the earth, you react to what you see. Begin to shake me up a little bit. He went on to say that the seven dimensions can be found in the seven churches of Revelation, and the last would be first. So I started reading the seven churches of Revelation, Ephesus all the way through Laodicea, get to each one of them, and the only thing that was coming to me was rote. 
wrote is stuff that you've already been through you've already preached about you've already done and I was all that was coming into my mind and I was I remember thinking, Lord, I'm not getting this because none of this is revelation. You said that the dimensions could be found in the seven churches of revelation and the last would be first, but I'm not getting any revelation on these dimensions. I remembered he said the last would be first. So I went over to the Laodicean church, and I purposed this time that I would not think about them being lukewarm, I would not think about them blind, poor, miserable, and naked. I'm just going to read, and I'm going to bind myself to this and wait to hear what the Lord says. Somebody's got their phone going off. Remember that little thing we had up there, please silence your phones? That was for you. Was it yours, Cheryl? Oh, okay. You were going to be in hot water if that had been your phone. I was doing the ceremony yesterday, wedding ceremony, and on the front row, right in the middle of the ceremony, cell phone went off. We'd already, not hers. So I got over to the book of Revelation and started looking at the church of Laodicea in the third chapter. And I'm reading through all of this, and I get down to verse 20. And I read verse 20, and it goes like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens up to me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. I had only ever heard that most of the time at funerals. But it was about what God was about to tell me was about to impact my life. That should never be read at funerals anymore. This is what the Lord said. He's looking for intimacy out of the Laodicea. First dimension, we've got a dead spot right here. The first dimension of seeing the way heaven sees is intimacy. It's the first and foremost place of seeing the way heaven sees. You have to move into intimacy. I'm not going to go through all seven because I don't have time. But it's important that you understand that intimacy is the first place. Now, why is intimacy so important? Intimacy has to come, you have to come to a place of intimacy where you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on the one you're being intimate with. Not yourself. Some worship is introverted worship. And, it, and, and, it, and I don't like that kind of worship. I love worship that focuses and has intimacy with the Lord. The whole focus is on Him. The whole song is on Him. Or, or the whole meditation is upon Him. Moving into that intimate place where the focus is on the one that you're being intimate toward. It's not on you. Let me say that again, it's not on you because if the focus is on you, you're never going to have vision. You're never going to see properly because the focus is on you and it's all about you. You know, they wrote that song, it's all about me, Jesus, and not about you. Oh, it goes the other way. (laughs) It's not about you. I'm fully convinced if we could raise up disciples 
not church people. Raise up disciples because disciples do not have a focus on themselves. We could raise up disciples, not just converts, not just Christians. We'll begin taking regions for the Lord, begin taking territory for our God because we're beginning, we begin to see the way heaven sees. Jesus deposited something into his 12 apostles. He deposited something into those three. It was amazing how he did this. He, he had... He had a group of 500, a group of 70, a group of 12, and a group of three. And he was intimate in different ways with each one of them. The three saw things that the 12 never saw. The 12 saw things that the 70 never saw. And the 70 saw things that the 500 never saw. You see, it just depends on how intimate you want to be with the Lord. Do you want to be the 70 or the 12 or the 3? One of the guys who was a part of the 3 is called John the Beloved. He laid his head on Jesus' bosom. That's how much love was a part of his life. He saw from a love perspective. You see, we need all kind of people. Because Peter didn't see that way. Peter had vision, but his vision was, let's pull out a sword and let's cut this guy's head off. He missed him and got his ear. That was Peter's approach. And that approach, not, not, we don't want to kill anybody, but that approach of being a warrior is needed within the church. When you look at, look at James, and you may have never seen this before, James comes from a doctrinal approach. Can you see that? Look in the scriptures. He was the lead apostle over the apostolic council or the apostolic hub in Jerusalem. And after all of them had talked and all of them convened, John said, uh, James said, this is what we're going to do. And get over in the book of James, the whole book of James is about doctrine that he laid out for the church. So each one of them had their place and their function. And that's how the body of Christ functions. If I'm not an evangelist, I don't have the vision of an evangelist, so don't try to get me to have the vision of an evangelist. Are you understand what I'm saying? If I'm not a pastor, don't try to get me to be pastor. I had one guy write me one time. He said, Brother Ken, I believe the Lord's going to make you more pastoral than you are. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, that's not from the Lord. I can tell you that right now. I, and I told him, see, the, the, the thing about my makeup and my character and, and my mantle that's on me is if you say something like that and you're wrong, I'll tell you. I won't do it in a harsh way, but I'll just let you know you've missed it. Or if you're called to be a teacher, don't try to get me to be a prophet because I don't have the vision of a prophet. Are you getting this? And so it's important that we function. Our, I've often said this. Teachers need to teach. Pastors need to shepherd the flock. Evangelists need to win the loss. Prophets need to prophesy. And apostles need to govern and release dark doctrine. And if we get everybody operating that way, but we have today we have all these prophets, they want to give their opinions. And, and if they would just prophesy, it would be awesome. We have teachers who are wanting to be a prophet, 
And then they try to be a prophet and they stumble all over themselves when they should just be teaching. We have pastors who want to be an apostle, those kind of things, but it doesn't always flow that way. Get in your gifting and start enjoying what God has given you. When the Lord gave me this encounter, I immediately thought of the seven eyes of the Lord because he said the heaven sees seven dimensionally. And he says here in the book of Zechariah chapter 4, also the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which reign to and fro throughout the earth. This is also mentioned, we won't turn there, but it's mentioned in Isaiah, I mean, Revelation, the fifth chapter, the seven eyes of the Lord. See, the Lord sees seven dimensions. He th sees through different eyes than we see. And he responds. We react. You know, when what was going on in Washington, D.C., we were reacting in many cases to that. For two days, Dutch and I, we walked around D.C. without ever shutting any door for two days. Because we wanted to just walk and pray in tongues mostly and discern. Rather than going up against every door and saying, we close you, we had to discern which doors the Lord wanted to close, or which place he wanted to close the doors to the enemy. And so we spent a lot of time just walking around. We walked through the Senate office buildings several times. We walked through the Capitol. We walked through the Supreme Court. We, we walked around the White House and trying to discern what, the, what is the Lord saying. I remember when we were at the White House, we began seeing things the way the Lord wanted to see this nation. We, and I've never seen this before. I've probably been a hundred times to Washington, D.C., to the White House. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, kids this tall start coming from everywhere. And they have teachers or kind of like a preschool. They were all preschool teachers that were with them. And all of a sudden, the kids started playing out in front of us and all around us, kicking the soccer ball and having a good time. And they were very disciplined because if the soccer ball went across the sidewalk where we were, they could not cross that sidewalk. And I thought they were pretty disciplined to be three- and four-year-old kids, and I'd always kick the soccer ball back to them. But as we were sitting there, the Lord began speaking to me, and I began to see, I began having vision what we are fighting for. We're fighting for generations to come. That's what we're fighting for. I don't know about you, but I want my grandkids and my kids and great-grandkids to have a nation whose God is the Lord. Not a nation that has Buddha and and Muhammad and Harry Krishna and all of them as a God. <clears throat> Let me go down to number six. I was going to talk more about the commission and about the appointed time, but I want to talk about the visionary having died to themselves and are alive unto God. Visionaries have died to their desires, will, and agenda. 
I'm not trying to say this showing you what I'm about to say as, a, as my sacrifice. I'm gladly doing it. But I didn't come to Satellite Beach and to the Space Coast because I didn't have anything to do. I had plenty to do, and I still do. Matter of fact, God just last month resurrected my traveling ministry. It was on hold for 12 months. It was amazing how God did it. But now I'm booked up all the way to June next year. I'll be here most Sundays, except for one every month. And in coming here, Cheryl and I made this statement, said, do we really want to do this? Because we've been down this road before. Sometimes you come across people that want to run with the vision. And in this case, being an apostolic hub. And other times, you just run across people who just want to come to a good church service and sit in a good church service. So I have been down that road before. I've been through all the trials and tribulations. I've been through everybody calling me every name under the sun. And I've kind of died to all that. When I was young, it really bothered me. But I've kind of died to all that now. The thing about getting older is that you could care less what people think about you anymore. When you're young, you do. Or, or young in the Lord, you do. But visionaries have died to themselves. It's not about you. I remember Doug Abner and Ken Bolin from Manchester, Kentucky. There's a movie called Appalachian Dawn. If you have not watched this, get this movie and watch it. It's three hours long. But you will literally weep and cry through the entire movie as you watch God transform an entire county. I mean, seriously, transform it. And I remember Doug Abner and Ken Bolin telling me this right here, and they talk about it in the movie too. That they had to set aside their own agenda of growing their local church. Now that's a challenging thing to give that to a pastor. To tell a pastor, I want you to set aside your agenda of growing your local church and I want you to focus on me coming to this county. And they shifted focus and this charismatic pastor who spoke in tongues and the Baptist pastor who didn't speak in tongues, at least I don't know if he did, they come together and they start praying over their county because God has deposited it to them a vision of him coming into the county. The prayers continue, then all of a sudden they're having prayer every Saturday morning with 150 people from across the county in attendance. All of them there searching for answers. And Doug said, in every time, there was always at least six people who did not know the Lord because they were searching for answers. And because of that vision and God driving them with that vision, they had to die to themselves. Uh, Doug Abner had one of the drug lords in that county put a gun to his head and told him, said, if you don't stop, I will kill you. It was a meth capital of the United States at the time. You've seen the movie, Justi or the TV show Justified on TV? It's about Harlan County. Who saw that? Anybody seen that besides all the three of us and four of us? It was about Kentucky, not about that county. It used another county that has had the similar situation. But God transformed it. But they had to go through a dying process. And they would say, Lord, we rebuke the fear of man, and we embrace the fear of God. 
You see, visionaries die to themselves. And in Romans, I'm going to read this here, and this is going to be our last point. Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Do you know there's churches today that are teaching that grace covers it? Whatever you do, you can go ahead and sin. Grace has got you. In other words, but let's look at what Paul says. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into the death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. The next time you decide to get angry and get the huffs, remember that you have died to sin. It's a good word there. I'm going to say that one more time. I want it to sink in. Remember that you get, when, next time you get angry and you start getting the huffs and you say, I've got to have my way, this is not right. Remember that you have died to sin, but are alive unto God. Close with this one. Don't have to turn there. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. And as I shared with you last week, God wanted to get this so in me that when I was in D.C., not this past week, but the week before, two weeks ago, he put me in room 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with him. Say, I'm crucified with him. I want to recommend a book to you, and then we're going to have you stand up and pray.